This is a podcast from the Poetry Society. I'm struck by the kind of meaningless of words quite a lot and how slippery they are. Mm. I don't trust them at all, and yet I also want to believe in them, and I'm kind of left stranded between the two. I'm Maurice Reardon, editor of the Poetry Review, and today I'm talking to Zafa Quinil. Welcome, Zafa. Thank you. Zafa published a pamphlet in the Faber New Poets series last year. He also published some poems, in fact, in the Poetry Review. And uh, he has received the Geoffrey Dahmer Prize for those poems, selected by uh, Bill Manhire. I'll come back to the Dahmer Prize, but well, last year was a kind of a hot year for you, wasn't it, Zappa? <laughs> you were also poet in residence at, uh, at the Wordsworth Trust. So how did you find that? Was that sort of uh, intimidating or inspirational, or how did you find it? Uh, yeah, oh, it was all of those things, yeah, intimidating, inspirational, but in a good way. I think that was the first time I'd been called a poet as his kind of job title. <laughs> Before that, I worked for Hallmark Cards. So, yeah. For it Hallmark was, Cards? Yes, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah five, five days a week, nine to five. So your collector's poems thus far are in Christmas <laughs> cards and birthday they, cards. Well, and I worked work for a part of Hallmark that supplied Marks and Spencers, so they were exclusively available there but thank goodness they're not there anymore <laughs> uh, I hope anyway so yeah it was quite different but really yeah it was it was good and I think I never studied literature or creative writing and so so to be I learned a lot about Wordsworth uh, not that I hadn't read him before I, you know I'd, I'd done a lot of reading off my own kind of steam for a few years before but it was good for me to kind of immerse myself in some of that uh, sometimes I like the idea of placing myself awkwardly around these big figures that I probably shouldn't place myself next to, just to see mm. see how that feels and whether I belong in this world of literature and uh, things yeah, like that. So it's kind of an immersion in that kind of, well, it's an iconic poetic landscape. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were kind of literally put in it. Mm. Yeah, um, so yeah, it was great on lots of levels. Um, mm. First time I'd lived in the countryside. And to be around all that kind of history, that, that kind of history that I'd be scared of, really. You know, to have your name kind of just very briefly associated with all that was mm. kind of strange. But in a way that was, yeah, something that I, I dwelt on a lot without, without necessarily going anywhere with it. I'm actually going to quote you a little bit from one of your poems where you say, At home in Grasmere, thin mountain paths have me back, a boy in Kashmir. So you rhyme Kashmir with Grasmere. Now, I assume that this is, there's an autobiographical background here, that you do have strong links with Kashmir and so on. You could well, fill us in on that a bit. That's, I suppose that was autobiographical. And boringly enough, a lot of my poems do draw on kind of memories, I suppose. And when I was in Grasmere, I did do lots of walks up and around the hills. And it did remind me of the times that I spent visiting where my dad's from, visiting my grandmother over there. That was the nearest kind of visual, if you like, rhyme that was in my head, you know, with these hills and, and also these hills representing home. And so, yeah, it just occurred to me that the two words that were so different, 
Mm. Uh, but you were, you were born here in the UK. People oh, yeah, wouldn't necessarily I'm, I'm know this. Yeah, yeah mm. sorry. Yeah, no, I'm completely British. I was born in Birmingham. My father's Kashmiri, Pakistani. Mum's mm. English. His mother lived over there, and also his first family. So I've got some half brothers and a half sister, and his first wife lived over there. And sometimes we would go over on holidays mm. and things. Mm. Um, in fact, that was the only holidays we had. We never went camping. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Never went holidays in this country. It would be over there. So, yeah, that little thing is, I suppose, me trying to put two very distant places on the same page through, yeah. through a similar sound, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, no, it's a, it's a wonderful little rhyme, isn't it? A serendipity, I suppose. Yeah, the, the, and the it's ca- trivial in so many ways, mm. isn't it, I like to do that. And I'm struck by the kind of meaningless of words quite a lot and how slippery they are. Mm. I don't trust them at all. And yet I also want to believe in them. And I'm kind of left stranded between the two. And yeah. yeah. I'm going to ask you a little bit then about the, the kind of poetry lineage. I know that, <clears> that you've that been... That sounds wor- very, very heavy. <laughs> very grand. <yeah. laughs> but I know you've been working with Bernard O'Donoghue. Isn't that right? Yeah, uh, that's right. Mentorship, so, I suppose. So is that how you describe it? Yeah, but well, very recently with the Faber New Poets scheme, which I was really lucky to get on. After the pamphlet came out, you get paired up with another poet. And yeah, Bernard's been great. And I've had two meetings with him and been a real pleasure. Someone who hasn't studied literature, you know, his knowledge of literature is amazing. And mm. just to hear his ideas mm. on things. And it's but, great. You, but you're poetry apprenticeship goes back a little bit. I'm aware that in the past you um, knew Michael Donaghy. You went to some of his classes, I think. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say I knew him very very well, but um, just randomly, when I was doing my degree, I lived in Manor House. And at the end of my time there, I, I was looking for a kind of poetry course. I was studying politics. Then I moved to Stoke Newington, and the nearest course to me was this evening class at City University, which I turned up for without paying one time. <laughs> and um, later on, he bumped into me in Clissold Park and said, oh, didn't you come to one of my things? And I said, yeah, but I, you know, I was a bit intimidated by all this, you know, you guys know what you're doing, and I haven't really read much. And, and he, he said, no, come along, and, you know, I, you know, don't tell anyone, but don't pay for it, but just turn up when, <laughs> when you want. So, so yeah. I did, and I, I didn't know who he was, to be honest with you mm. at all. I hadn't heard of him. I hadn't read that much. So I was kind of lucky to be introduced to it that way, but also it stopped me writing for, for a while. I, I kind of realized that I just needed to read a whole lot more. Mm. There was a time when, I think the last time I went possibly, he, he dropped me off on Albion Road in Stoke Newton, and on the way back... He actually, for the f- I wouldn't read my poems out for a while. Like I would, you know, mm. And then the first time, he'd actually re- read it for me. Mm. And then I brought one in that I had worked on a lot more, and, and he quoted a line back, back to me, and he, he kind of said, oh, so who, who have you read? And he mentioned someone else, and I'd never heard of him. And I said, no, so I haven't read him. And he said, name me a contemporary poet that you've read. And I said, Ted Hughes. And he said, well, what poem? And I said, oh, Full Moon and Little Frida. <laughs> and, and he kind of gave me this look that said, you really need to read more. Kind of. um, <laughs> and I kind of agreed, and I felt a bit ashamed. We chatted about other things, and by the time he dropped me off, I kind of thought, I'm not going to go to this class anymore. I'm just going to read. And then um, I said, by the way, can you tell me that the name of that guy that you were mentioning? Oh, I'll go and buy his book. And he went all quiet and looked a bit sad. He said, I'm not going to tell you his name, sorry. And I thought, oh, God, he's really disappointed. <laughs> I thought, fine, that's it. And I was about to say goodbye. And then and he said, I'm not telling you because 
I think you're better than him. And I don't know who this guy was. He's probably someone he hated. But later on, like years later, actually, when I was thinking about, you know, should I send stuff off, that word kind of, that better, whatever that means, kind of came back in a way and did kind of help me. Another person I should mention is Ian Duhigg. Mm. Um, so those years later, after doing lots of reading, and I went to an Arvon course with him, and he was encouraging as well. And he said, you should send these things off to mm-hmm. these publishers even. I didn't. I didn't for, for two years. Uh, yeah, and then I got lucky with that poetry competition thing. But yeah, that it was those kind of encouraging voices that I think were, were being encouraging beyond my ability in a way. Perhaps they were just being nice or something. But well, it sounds like in both cases it was intuitive. People just kind of, you know, as a good teacher should be, a talent <laughs> spotter too, you know. Well. Uh, anyway, I think uh, I think Michael would be very proud actually of the poems you write you know these days and he would actually i think recognize some of the kind of formal attentiveness that was so important to him in your work you know it's not a uh, an egregious influence but there is that Mm. kind of carefulness i Mm. think with form i'm going to actually delve a little deeper into your poetic dna as it were because one thing that seems to come up is a kind of particularity a kind of almost microscopic sort of observation that we say Hughes would have about nature, but mm. you're, you're very kind of detailed in your exploration of words, of particular mm. words and so on. And I suspect there's, there's a kind of, well, maybe we shouldn't talk too much about it, but I, I suspect there's a kind of a reason for that in your own perhaps early linguistic history or... Mm. Yeah, I'm sure there is in it. I mean, I, I, had a, I was very quiet as a young boy. Uh, yeah, my sister used to answer questions for me. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't talk much. I, I, I'm trying to make up for it ever since. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I was quite quiet. And there was a time when I was about 13, 14, when I actually stuttered. Mm. Um, I think things were difficult at home. And yeah, I was, I was always hesitant around speech, I think. And I suppose you could say things to do with hearing different languages and things. I'd often hear, you know, hear my father's words and not always understand them and things, and perhaps that made me sensitive to words. Actually, that reminds me of something Paul Muldoon says, that, you know, being a poet is uh, more about difficulty with language than it Mm. is kind of ease ease with language. I didn't know he said that, but, yeah, Mm. I very much relate to that. And, you know, I'd have been very surprised if he'd have told me when I was at school that I'd be able to stand up and read poems out in front of other people. When I did start writing, I, I even thought, you know, well, if, if I do want to get published, you know, you might have to do, do this reading business. And I, I just, I, that actually put me off for a while. Actually, that brings me back to um, the Jeffrey Dermer Prize and to what Bill Manhar says, says about your work. And I'll just quote a few sentences of his. You reminded him of Hardy, <laughs> uh, which is k- kind of interesting. Maybe right? it's my yeah. moustache. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as with Hardy, awkwardness grants a kind of calming grace to difficult com- mm. contemplation. I really uh, like that. It, it yeah. was great to read that. And yeah. It was great to get, get something from Bill mm. Manhai. Yeah. poetry I really like. Um, yeah. But yeah, a, the awkwardness is definitely true. But actually, yeah. I don't think it is so much awkwardness with form. It's more like the way we use awkward when we say, 
he's socially awkward mm. you know it's it's actually more about being shy yeah and not being a difficult customer or anything no, like that but no. just being yeah. uh, a little bit well, shy in the in the articulation of things yeah. and so on and i think there is that kind of hesitancy in your poems yeah there is, and I think that hesitancy, I think, creates a kind of space for attention sometimes, or like a, a word kind of will go into that hesitant space and take me in two directions at once. And sometimes if you're standing before a word rather than saying it, it kind of opens up that. And maybe I'm maybe at a deeper level, I don't know, I'm trying to enter into that nanosecond space of questioning before you commit to a word. And, and, and maybe the form and stuff, which I don't feel comfortable with some of these words like form and things. I just try to get, get a poem to be as good as it can be. And sometimes it goes that direction. But I think maybe that's an overcompensation in me to, to try to get something right when I feel that everything is wrong kind mm. of thing. Or, I think that's something you do, but I think it's a virtue. Mm. <laughs> it's a very unusual, I would say kind of a unique quality, oh, that kind so of it, attentive to the space almost between words but maybe just rather than talk in the abstract about this Zappa you will uh, read one of your poems for us so I'll, I might read a, this poem about the lost cricket ball which was in the poetry review called Fielder I should say this this uh, starts in Birmingham where I was born but it ends up further north Fielder if I had to put my finger on where this started, I'd trace a circle round the one moment I came to, or the one that placed me, a fielder, just past the field, over the rope, having chased a lost cause, leathered for six, when, bumbling about, obscured in the bushes, I completely stopped looking for the ball, perhaps irresponsibly, slowed by bracken, caught by light, that slipped the dark cordon of rhododendron hands, a world hidden from the batsmen, the umpires, and my team. Like the thing itself, that small seamed planet shined on one half, having reached its stop out of the sphere of sight. And when I reflect here, from this undiscovered city, well north of those boyish ambitions for the county, maybe later the country, I know something of that minute holds something of me. There, beyond the boundary, in that edgeland of central England, a shady fingernail of forest, the pitch it points at or past a stopped clock. Still, in the middle, the keeper's gloves clap at the evening. Still, a train clicks on far-off tracks, and the stars are still to surface. The whole field, meanwhile, waiting for me some astronaut or lost explorer to emerge with a wave that brings the ball, like time itself, to hand, a world restored. But what I'd come to find in that late hour was out of mind, and the thing is, I didn't care, and this is what's throwing me now. Beautifully read, Zaffa. Oh, thank, thank you very much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Poetry Society podcast. To find out more about the Poetry Society and how you can become involved, visit www.poetrysociety.org.uk.